I personally think out of probably the 10 best chili companies in Australia, I reckon we've got five of them right here. You don't know until you try it. And until you let them, you will never know what they can or cannot do. To watch a person land a joke who's never had an opportunity is life-changing. Welcome back to the People of Perth podcast, a series all about the people who live in the most isolated city on the planet. When someone says to you, hey, what do you do in your spare time? Whether it's heading to a game, checking out an exhibition, moshing at a show, we've all got something that speaks to us, that we're passionate about. This episode is about those passions, the things that shape us, the things that make us who we really are. I'm Carmen Braidwood and these are the People of Perth. I want that message to go out to their family and their children by empowering them. There's something about feeling right in the clothes we wear that gives us an extra boost, a little mood upper as we're heading out the door for the day. Whether it's exercise gear that actually makes you want to hit the gym or maybe a nice dress or suit that really makes you feel like you can take on the world. So can clothing be used as a vessel to empower ourselves? It might sound like a strange idea, but seeing how often the perfect dress can make someone feel like they are the centre of the universe, Lizelle Hartley has begun to believe that looking good can help us feel good too. I love fashion. I eat, drink, sleep fashion. I've got so much respect for any fashion designer. And going back to where I started, just lay on a piece of fabric my dad cut around me. I cut it. That was my first designer outfit. Absolutely wear it wherever I go. I love it. But fashion can be such a strong part of your life because fashion can make you feel good or can make you feel daggy. Fashion can create a first impression for you. Fashion can also become a hobby that makes you tick a little bit more instead of just something you have to do. I always say you have to dress every day. And if you don't enjoy what you wear, you already got a few steps back that you need to overcome because starting your day with just putting on something on your body for the sake to have something on, where you can really make that as part of your energy drink. Hmm. Whatever you wear can be the energy that you take out in the day and you can represent. And it's not to say you have to overdress. Sometimes you can get the energy from your exercise clothes, Hmm. as long as you love it, as long as you love your style. And when you love your style, there's definitely a button that you switch on. I love myself more. I know that life is not a red carpet roll out for you. And I know that circumstances and just life can be challenging. I think Carmen being a mum, being in the same situation of every businesswoman out there, being a wife, being a friend. So for me, it's important to give you that little bit of feel to go home and deal with a difficult child or even just an overtired, stressed out husband. And how much more fun can they be than putting up a women event? Mm. It's not that I do not empower men, but I just love to get together I love the details in events. Mm. I love to give people in life what I enjoy. And that's basically what I do with my events. And as I look at myself and look what I need in life, I just take that to the people around me. 
If you've been to any of Perth's artisan markets over the years, you'll have noticed there's always at least one stall with someone handing out eye-wateringly hot tasters. The chilli and hot sauce scene is on the rise here in WA, and over the last decade, it has become massive. It's seen many budding chilli connoisseurs try their own hand at concocting the perfect hot sauce. So how come this community is thriving right here in Perth? And why is it that several of our Perth-made hot sauces are making waves right around the world? For Paul Woodham's of All Burn Chili, it all comes down to community. I personally think out of probably the 10 best chili companies in Australia, I reckon we've got five of them right here in WA. And I think that's a fair assumption. I know I'm slightly biased. We've had the WA companies that have had the good success with being on the hot ones, which is the Holy Grail. And that being Renee Bunster from Bunsters and Mm. also Lee and Albie from Dingo. So So we punch well above our weight. We have five of the best. What do you put that down to? I think it's the passion of people in WA. The fact that if I think of the chili companies that are here, we all want to use, you know, fresh local produce. And you hear that a lot, you know, and, you know, some people say that yet, you know, they'll be opening cans from, from Woolworths to put in their things and things like that. I think in WA, we're just passionate about our chili. I think Renee really sort of flew the flag for chili in WA. You know, she was the first one from Australia to be on the hot ones. And for people who aren't as familiar with chilli, she's behind shit the bed sauce, that's, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And she's now just bought out a uh, chilli infused vodka. So looking forward to trying that. You become friends, you become close, not only at markets, at other events. You know, we'll bring a big chilli personality over from the States. Like we bought Johnny Scoville over, um, or Ken from... Um, chilling out in WA did and we'd get together and we'd have social activities with a person. And these are people who have kind of cult followings that have crossed over into the commercial following, haven't they? Exactly right, yeah. You're talking people that have got millions of followers and they run their YouTube channels and things like that. You know, even though we weren't seeing each other at markets, we were still seeing each other when we could, of course, with the social distancing and that. Lee Nash from Dingo having his pop-up at Sunshine Harvester. We'd have the things like the wing challenge with different companies and the sources down there. Yeah. Do you have relationships with those other, we've got mentioned the other chilli makers, but the the growers, you know, the chilli farmers up north and other producers, do you talk to those people? Do you have to maintain good connections with them? Oh, yeah. definitely, definitely, definitely. I mean, our... Our pods, our chilli fruit, I used to, uh, when the company was smaller, I used to try and grow it all myself. Um, so our property, you'd have around the whole house, there'd be all these chilli in the tomato huts we used to have with the mesh and all that, try and keep the moths out. But as we got bigger, the demand outgrew what I could do at home. So we had to look elsewhere. Now, th- there's some farms up in Carnarvon. Uh, Vince and his parents have got a farm up in Carnarvon. And he's actually locally here in Perth, so we get our fruit from him. Oh, great. Um, there's a lot of good local chilli producers. The good thing about Carnarvon is with their weather, they get an extended season. So the chilli season actually can keep going further into winter where, you know, down here and down south, it's sort of you have to overwinter your plants because uh, one thing chilli plants don't like is frost and the cold. We get our local honey from a local producer. We get all our other fresh produce from because we do Honeywood Farmers Market uh, most Sundays that we're not doing other chilli events and things like that. So there's the Ivans down there, the fresh fruit and veggies. We get all our produce from there on a Sunday as well. So, yeah, you get the relationships through seeing them at markets. But, 
you also form friendships with them as well. They'll drop around and we've had barbecues and dinners and stuff like that with our producers and our suppliers and they've hosted us as well. What is it that makes a person decide they want to get on stage and share their deepest, darkest secrets with the hope of making other people laugh? For most of us, the idea is absolutely terrifying. What if the audience doesn't laugh? Or perhaps even worse, what if they do? Those thoughts, and I'm sure a few others, are running through Ziggy Shimkus's mind when he first stepped on stage as an amateur comedian. And if you told him then that today he'd been running a club so that other comedians just like himself could get a start, he'd have said, what a great joke. But the truth is, that's where Ziggy is today. And I asked him where the journey started. Always wanted to do stand-up comedy. One day I was driving home from work, I saw, come try it out, so I did. And next thing I know, I've got my own club. So you went up... And just what, went to an open mic night and had yep. a go doing some stand-up? Yep. It was all on my bucket list, something I wanted to try. I got on. I liked it. Then myself and another comedian, uh, Jimmy, we talked that there was not enough space for anyone to try out because there's a lot of acts and there's not enough rooms. So then yeah. we opened rooms and then he left and I just kept the company and I run now going on three years. So Flying Camel Comedy are based out at the Bassendine Hotel. Yes. You get up there on stage to this yeah. day, yep. continuing to grow your stand-up. Yes. From literally starting with just having your first crack at it yep. seven years ago. Yes. What gets you back up there each week? <laughs> it's a little selfish, but one day I'd like to get to such level that my kids be proud of me, to know that my kids be like, that's my dad. Ooh. I have two girls and my little boy. My so. girls are 12, 8, and my son's 4. And I still have son who's 14. Oh, stepson too. <laughs> yes. Go our step parents. Yes. Oh, it's, Aaron is autistic, but he's so switched on. He helps me write jokes. And I mean, some of the jokes he writes disturbs me. And I'm like, should I just call the police? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he, really? He's got a, like, he's got such a twisted sense and it's, okay, you can't use certain things on stage, but where he writes out and he helps me rewrite the, that joke so I can actually use it. Okay. He's actually really, really good, but because of his autism, he won't get on stage. But he looks at the world differently, I suppose. Oh, so he, his writing is writing quite interesting. Oh, he, as I said, he writes it differently. So he thinks, why can't I use it like this? Because I'm like, you can't, you're going to offend people. You're going to do this. So he comes, sometimes he helps me out with the sound and stuff like that. And he'll watch me perform and then he'll be like, okay, what if you said this like this? Mm. And I'm like, okay, I could, I can twist it. So it's very great to have a different way of thinking, you know, because we will think one way and he'll think of it completely different. And most of the time, not most of the time, I like, cause I like, I like my own jokes, but <laughs> most of the time he, he'd be like, worded like this and it works so much better. And you're like, you should be on stage. He's like, nope. He won't go on stage? No. He will not go on stage. But you do have comedians who live with all kinds of disorders and people with autism, Asperger's, even a guy who doesn't speak but with the help of his carers and his tablet can get on stage and tell jokes. I mean, it it takes so long to get him on stage. We only get him on about once every three to four months, you know, because it takes him a long, him and his carers to write the jokes and practice it. So then he gets on and then it is just amazing to see how he lights up yeah. You, you know, when people connect with his jokes, I mean, it's simple jokes, technically speaking, but the way he performs it and he roasts the other acts. Does he? Because he comes and watches us quite often. Mm. So he knows what he wants to say. And it takes some time with, with his carers to make that roast happen. And then when he gets on stage, he will roast you. And he's just like, the acts will be like, what? The, what, what? And they don't even know. It's, it's beautiful. And he shines, he glows. It's, it is. One of the best things as a room runner to give an opportunity to a guy like him 
to be like, get on stage and he, he glows. It's not just like happy. He actually glows and you can see how proud he is. And you're like, I did that. Yeah, you did. You <laughs> yeah. did. Tell me more about the process that Eli uses to write his comedy and uh, how he's helped by his carers to do it, how you get him on stage. How does it all work? You know, getting Eli to do a set, there's technology, there's TV, there's, you know, he's not just getting on stage and talking. TV's got to show this picture at this time so he can press his buttons and, and it's great. Like we have an awards at the end of the year. We gave him an award for technology because all that, it, it's him. That's, he's like, he's brought that technology to you. He's brought that technology to us. He's like, I need this, I need this, and he'll organise everything. Him and his carers will organise it and they'll just put on a show. We'll just have to be careful to walk around it because it takes like an hour to set it all up, you know, TVs and screens and wow. everything, tablets. But watching him, it's just it's such a warm feeling, you know. He's it's, happy. He, he's happy. And, you know, even when he's sitting in the audience and when you interact with him, like uh, Nick and Frank, we, an actor does quite often, you know, they're really, really good, that when they interact, he, he glows and he interacts and you can see he wants to, you know, it, it's amazing. And I mean... This is a person who's not verbal. He yeah. can't talk normally. He, he has to communicate through the tablet. Or through the tablet, but it, even... Even if he doesn't communicate, like when he's an audience member with a tablet, the way he moves, he tries to move his hands and, mm. you know, make noises and like that. You can see he's interacting. He understands. He he, he wants to heckle he, and he heckles. And I mean, I can't say this because it's public, but there was one time uh, there was another comedian on stage and he said something and Eli pressed a button that was a very rude word. Really? And it was just perfectly timed was it it was the best joke of the night because eli <laughs> pressed the button at the right time it was great it, it, what it, a legend it, yeah it is and it, you know it's people like eli and they, there's no other space that i know of in perth that they could come and dry it and you know that's where flying camel i think is a bit different where we encourage people like that to come and give it a try you know we had the guy, he's like, I've got Asperger's and I can't do it, I can't do it. He got on stage and he absolutely destroyed that stage. Yeah. Mostly because he was just talking to himself about, I can't do this. He's trying to convince himself that he can't do yeah. it. And the way he was talking, it just made his set so much better. He used himself in his comedy. And yes. I believe, you know, in everything I do, it's all about just being as, as authentic as possible. And I think yep. the best people I've seen in a broadcasting world yep. um, are authentic. So the same must apply to comedy. Oh, you, you have to, you know. In comedy, you have to be a little bit thicker skinned, mm. you know, and that's why people might not want to let like people with Asperger's get on stage because they, they worry they might get offended and walk off or whatever. But some of those guys, you don't know until you try it. And until you let them, you will never know what they can or cannot do. It is just, as I said, to watch a person land a joke and who's never had an opportunity is life-changing. I bet. It's just, you're like, yep, I helped that. We have a lady that comes on every night we do a show on Wednesdays and she's very shy. And after about two years, we finally got on stage and first couple sets she did, she was doing one line of jokes, she copied off line. Now she's starting to write jokes about her life Is and about she? her experiences. And it's just world difference. You just, from reading lines to talking about her self-experiences, it's crazy how different she is. And like her mom's come and thanked us for letting her open up, let her be this person that she, she obviously never had a chance to before. Comedy lets her people do that. What do the audience make of the guests with different abilities who come on stage? When we have people with different abilities, we kind of warn the audience, like, this is what we have, you know, just so you know. And then MC will say that we've got Eli or we got 
whatever, you know, and this is a situation and audience love it. You think that there wouldn't be, you know, because sometimes the audience is hard. Like if you're not that great, they will crucify you. But then when like Eli gets on stage, people love it. He, he so supportive, you know, everyone's encouraging. I mean, how often do you let a person like Eli have that kind of opportunity? Yeah. And he crushes and how often do you get that in a in a comedy room? You know, comedy rooms can be kind of judgmental places at times, can't they? Oh yes. You know, other oh, yes. aspiring comics are in the room. They're like, oh, that's derivative. I've seen so and so do that. It's not yes. his stuff. It's not natural. Yes. You know, we're very quick to judge. Oh yes, we are very quick to judge. It's also a lot of the guys are like, oh, that's not your joke, or you copied someone else. Mm. You know, there's only so many topics you can talk about. No matter how broad you expand your repertoire, there's only so much you can talk about. So sooner or later, you will talk about the same topic that Jim Carrey's talk about. And, mm. you know, you can't tell me that I've copied the guy because I've just used the same topic. It's my joke, though. When Donna started, she was using one-liners, and there was a little whisper in the background that, you know, she's not using it. Mm. But she's trying. Yeah. She is trying. She's getting on stage. She's getting over her fear. And now that she's over that fear, like, her, her jokes are personal. They're getting to it. And you're like, that's my girl. Do you see evidence of people who progress that way through comedy doing better in their day-to-day lives too? Yes. I mean, I try not to dwell too much into their personal lives. You know, we all have our issues. But, yes, people open up. They can explore more. They can show more. The guy with Asperger's, he's moved back to New Zealand and he's trying to open his own room now. Yeah. You know, not that long ago, he could barely speak to another person. Now he's opening a room, you know, and he sent me thank yous like all the time. I'm like, you know, all I did was give you a stage now. You know, it's, it's, it's great. It's, I love it. What's well, the art to getting a joke right? And for if you are running a joke about a person, what do you have to do to make sure that they're okay with it? Um, if it's direct to a person, you know, like if I was writing a joke about you, I'd always pass you, pass you first. So I'm kind of in on the joke then. Yeah, so you'd know what I've written. Because if I wrote a joke about Carmen Braidwood and performed on stage and someone reported it to you and then you're like, well, actually, this is very defamatory. It's probably not technically defamatory, but yeah, it runs a risk. You, you, you know, it runs a risk, you, you know, so you'd have to check your sources and whatnot. And it's best to always talk to a person and say, look, I'm writing this joke. How are you okay with it? What if someone turned around and said, no, you can't use it? Wouldn't you just rather use it and ask for forgiveness later? We comedians, most comedians are unemployed and poor. We can't (laughs) afford the legal fees. (laughs) That's the right answer. (laughs) Next time on the People of Perth podcast, what is it that makes a community? While it's certainly more than living in an area and going to the shops nearby, it's something many commentators say that we've lost since our world became more digital we'll talk with three people who have built their own community, whether it is through work or their local connections. Brett Deller compares the different community responses to his careers. I always joke, as a police officer, people aren't always happy to see you, whereas a chiropractor, people actually want to come and see you. Lizelle talks about introducing Aussie friends to the South African community. I love giving my Australian friends some botong and druivor and <laughs> etiquetting on good food. And from Yvonne Fletcher, the importance of building community groups. We've got different groups of people that have met through our singles groups that go out afterwards and it's really nice. This is a podcast series made possible thanks to interviews with the members of the Perthling Facebook group. If you'd like to be part of future Perthling projects, get on board by following the link in the episode description. The People of Perth podcast is produced by Bad Bard Productions and presented by me, Carmen Braidwood. 
I hope you'll join us next time for more stories from the world's most isolated city. Thanks for listening.